I'm just going to pray. Uh, Holy Spirit, uh, Jesus, we pray that you bless the speaker today. He needs it. Uh, we thank you, Jesus, that you love us, and uh, amen. <laughs> so uh, the, the actual fact, I, no, no offense, Colin, but I told you to say is marketing and uh, uh, salespeople consistently rank at the bottom well below politicians and lawyers, right? And, and, and I think it's, what's funny is I'm up here at chapel today, and uh, there's this bit of imposter syndrome, right? There's this feeling of like, does anybody ever have that maybe? You're, maybe you get a new job or an internship and you feel like you're faking it. Anybody ever feel like that? You call it imposter syndrome. It's actually a real thing, especially in the business world. You're like, what am I doing up here? Uh, you feel like you're faking it. What am I doing preaching in chapel, right? Like today is the day they're bringing in the real choir. Uh, all that stuff, right? You could feel like a, a fake, but uh, uh, hopefully there's something that I can bring today. Uh, you know, uh, before I get rolling, I just want to uh, show you my family up here. Uh, this is my wife. Uh, this is us meeting in high school. Uh, uh, we went on one date in high school and then started dating again when I was in graduate school. So when we got engaged, people were like, how long have you been together? And I was like, 12 years off and on, mostly off. She didn't like that joke. Uh, we got married. We do some CrossFit. We're getting old together. Uh, but uh, uh, here's my one piece of advice when it comes to marriage. Marry someone way outside of your league. I did it. Highly recommend it, right? My wife is the way better version, way cooler, way smarter, way funnier, uh, way better athlete. Uh, and uh, so I highly recommend that. Um, but I want to go back to this theme of uh, being an imposter, right? Like we get lots of awesome chapel speakers, right? You just heard from Professor and Pastor Colin Miller. The dude can code computers. The dude can preach the word. The dude can dunk on you, right? Uh, he can dunk on me, right? Or we have Professor Cherie Lear, right? Uh, she's smart. She's funny. She even knows how to pronounce all the names in the Old Testament. Uh, we have Dr. Greg Leeper. Uh, I look at them, him as a man who sets the bar for integrity. He brings wisdom when he preaches. And his wife, well, she's a way better preacher than him. Uh, we have other awesome professors, new ones like JP and Brian Davis and Phil Zarns. Uh, I, I, I listen to Jeff Grinnell preach, and it's like it's a man interceding for this generation, right? So it's like I'm up here, I'm like, I'm the business guy, right? They are uh, professional Christians, and I make ads for Soup and Hamburger Helper, right? Like, uh, great, yeah. Uh, <laughs> We have all these uh, guest speakers from the mission fields and the front lines, and then I hear Reggie Dabs, and well, like, I don't even know what to say. I can't hold that dude's fresca. Oh, he says fresca. I like that. But recently, I don't know why, the, the story of Balaam has continued to come in front of me. And so I was reading in Numbers, and, and it says, Numbers 22, 28, and the Lord opened up the mouth of the... At, at, Sorry about that. That's the King James Version. He opened up the mouth of the donkey, right? And I think what God is saying is like, look, dude, I can speak through a donkey. I can speak through you, right? Be aware of that Bible. It'll get you every once in a while. All right. Uh, but we hear these sometimes. Here's maybe why I also feel like a phony. We hear these testimonies in chapel of radical transformation, right? Like, I went from this chaotic, out-of-control life, met Jesus, boom, everything's awesome. The Holy Spirit comes and moves in a powerful way. So anybody ever hear, like maybe you're driving through Nebraska or Wisconsin or some other lesser state, and you're driving through and they play these cheesy radio dramas called Unshackled. Anybody ever heard of those? It's like bad organ music. And it's the story of these testimonies. Well, I got two of those in my family, right? Uh, my uncle, Mike DeCurci, right? Like big Italian dude. Uh, he's got one of these stories. Six foot four dude, 
He used to play trombone in jazz bars in New York City's. Uh, he, he rocked hard, uh, and he used to break, I've heard that he used to break pool cues over dudes' heads in bar fights, right? Met Jesus through AA, radically changed, radically changed his life, his family's life, came to know Jesus, and then he became a music and worship pastor at Cedarville College, right? So, and, and so, like, God can do radical things, right? Uh, my dad has one of those cheesy radio drama testimonies, too. They made it about him. Uh, my Uncle Mike uh, uh, led my dad to Jesus through Alcoholics Anonymous. See, my dad partied real hard. He totaled, like, four cars. He rocked, like, rocked, like, you know, lived out in the middle of the country so he could crank it up to 11. Uh, and then Jesus spoke into his life in a radical way. He said, put, Phil, put your hand on your Bible. My dad flushed his weed down the toilet, got sober, followed Jesus, right? These radical transformations that changed the trajectory of my family. See, I never met this crazy alcoholic Phil Skiba. I just met the man saved by grace, the best dad I could ask for, the best friend I could ask for. I had parents who modeled a Christian marriage, and they were awesome. I have an amazing brother, too. But maybe I feel like an imposter because my testimony is a little bit more boring, right? See, I was four years old, and my dad asked me if I wanted Jesus in my heart. I was like, sweet, that sounds awesome. So we're in the back of this 1980s like, Mazda Silver, Silver Mazda 626, and he's like, you want to follow Jesus? I was like, that sounds pretty awesome. And I ran around telling my friends that I was on Jesus' team or something like that, right? Little kid, right? And the reason my testimony is so boring is because Jesus told me as a four-year-old, go and sin no more. So I took the toy that I had stolen from my friend, I returned it, and for 35 years I've been going strong, right? Just, just like all y'all, right? Just like all y'all, I assume, Right? No, man, there's another reason I feel like an imposter up here. As this date drew near, my mind and our enemy was glad to remind me of all the reasons I'm not supposed to be up here. The accusations of my past screw-ups playing on repeat. You lied about this. You said that. You struggled with this. You've done that. Remember that year playing junior hockey, your freshman year? Remember that time you looked at that site? Remember that girl, that person you've heard, that thing you've said, that time you sucked as a brother, a son, a friend, a husband? Paul was not the chief of sinners. That's you. Yeah, that's me, Right? See, what happens, when that happens, I need to renounce the lies and accusations and replace them with the truth. I claim the truth that Jesus' righteousness is a credit to me. I renounce the lie that I am the sum of my sin. I claim the truth that Jesus' righteousness is a credit to me in his name, in Jesus' name. But I actually think I am up here for a reason, to share my story. I think I'm up here for all the church kids who grew up looking the part. See, my, my, my uh, talk today is called the facade of the good Christian boy, right? They were nice enough to build me a facade up here on stage, right? It's like they knew uh, it was happening. This is for all of the good Christian boys who knew the answers to say in Sunday school and youth group, who knew all the things to do, or better yet, not do, to look the part. Don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, don't date girls who do, Right? Those boys, the good Christian boys. See, growing up in church, I learned to put on the facade, the front, to play the role of the good Christian boy. And that's here what I'm going to talk about today. Now, a quick aside, I'm going to talk and tell you my story. So I'm going to talk about being a good Christian boy and, and learning to be a man and all this stuff. And you might be like sitting here like, 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 I'm not a boy. Like, how do I relate to that? Well, maybe you can glean something for you, or maybe there's something in this for your fiancés or your future sons, or let's face it, we're NCU and your sophomores, your husbands, right? 
Sorry, too, too soon. <laughs> All right. But maybe there's something you could take from this too. All right. I had to do that. Sorry. See, facade is an architectural term, an architectural term. It's the front of the building. It's made to look way, way, way better than the rest of the building. It's a false front. A facade can look beautiful and hide a crumbling building behind. See, I'm up here for all the good Christian boys who look the part on the outside but are hurting on the inside. Those who look like they've got it together as they struggle with sin alone, trying to perform good enough for Jesus' love. See, growing up, I learned to be a good Christian boy on the outside, a safe facade. I was pretty good at it. I'm going to give you a few lessons on how to look the part. Lesson number one, when I perform as a good Christian boy, I get rewarded, right? Now, see, Josh, where's Josh out here? I saw you there. Josh, can you tell me your favorite Bible verse that you have memorized? What is it? Awesome, Josh, great job. Here's some Sour Patch Kids. Sorry, that was coming in hot. All right. <laughs> See, my earliest memory in Sunday school was memorizing Bible verses. I'm not sure what any of those verses were, but I remember that if I could quickly memorize a verse, run up and recite it, I got candy, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Here's a Snickers. Jesus wept. That was easy. Skittles, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only forgotten son. Wait, no, 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 that's not right. Only begotten son. Oh, yeah, that's it. Here's a Kit Kat, right? See, I learned that when I performed, I was supposed to be rewarded. I learned that God's love was to be earned. It was transactional. It was self-righteous. It was a quid pro quo relationship. Second lie of the facade. Second facade lesson. Don't really share my sin. Uh, I'm going to be a little bit honest and raw today, so hopefully nobody, uh, you know, I'm just lay it out there. Uh, I remember a youth group once, and I showed up late. It was at my house, and somehow I still showed up late. I don't know there, right? But I remember a friend of mine was confessing that he was house-sitting for some people, and he found a celebrity sex tape on VHS. We're that old, right? And he watched it. And it was like we all became the old, white-haired, Swedish church ladies at our covenant church. And we're like, oh my, right? And I remember judging him in my mind. But most importantly, I was like, I'm glad I'm not up there. I'm glad nobody knows about me. See, I learned an important lesson. Never be the one caught sinning. As good Christian boys, we talk grace, but we distribute shame. I learned it was much safer to be vague in general about sin. You know, I, I struggle with uh, temptation from time to time. Now, I had a verse to make it seem like I'm in control, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Candy, please, right? Or better yet, pick a really safe sin. You know, I'm just not reading my Bible enough. I, I, I confess that. See, I learned it was safe to hide my sin, to just struggle alone, just like every one of my close friends. My best friend in the world, Tim, he lived across the street from me. We played hockey every day. We took road trips. We went to youth groups. We mowed, in, we mowed lawns together. We got into fistfights about my lawnmower being slower than his lawnmower. We were always together. We did everything together, but we both struggled alone for us for almost every guy I know, the struggle was lust and porn. One of the enemy's greatest tactics to keep young men, to keep all men struggling with lust, is shame. We feel like we're the only one. He keeps men isolated in their struggle and shame. 
because we have all learned the facade lesson. Don't really share my sin. Facade lesson number three, compare myself to people who are worse than me. If I want to be self-righteous enough, just keep moving the goalposts. Don't compare myself to Jesus' standard. Find someone else. Just don't have, like, sex sex. Just don't smoke pot. Just don't do the really bad things. I'm way more holy than this friend. He parties a lot more than I do. See, the key was to look good in the right places and sin in the safe places. I learned that it was important to look good around the right people. And when I'm going to sin, just sin around people worse than me. Sin, but just like sin a little less than they do. See, as a good Christian boy, I was, struck, I was stuck between the lines of legalism and comparison. Constantly changing what good enough was. Constantly changing what good enough was. See, I learned to compare myself to people worse than me. There are many, many other lessons I learned behind the facade of the good Christian boy. Many of you have learned them too. Mostly they involve looking good, never getting caught, never letting anyone see me with lust, porn, or sexual sin. Be judgmental of others and save the harshest, save the harshest judgments for myself and my shame in secret. And somehow I also learned that getting good grades was rolled in there. So, like, Jesus' love was correlated to me making honor roll, obviously. Right? We learned this messed up theology. I learned this messed up theology. It was all about how I looked. I got to be really, really good at washing the outside of the cup. Good at looking good. Meanwhile, my inside was hurting, struggling, and broken. I had the appearance of self-righteousness, but it wasn't working. Self-righteousness never works. If this strikes a chord with you, and you really, really, really want to mess up your facade of the good Christian boy self-righteousness, just replace the word Pharisee with Christian whenever Jesus is talking. Or better yet, drop in your own name. Maybe that brings the room down. Sorry about that. But, but God is faithful. Yes, I was hiding behind this facade, Still the heart of that four-year-old boy who was running around because he was on Jesus' team, that was there too. He desperately and really wanted Jesus. Now, you might have heard my story so far as me talking about how to be slick, look the part, get away with sin, taking advantage of easy, greasy grace and just living it up. Yet I wasn't the prodigal son out partying and scoring in the big city. I was the older brother struck in self-righteousness, struggling alone in secret while looking the part. The truth is sin never satisfies. My prayers to God were earnest. I think literally most of my prayers from age 13 to 21 started, honestly, God, I am sorry I screwed up again. It wasn't that I wanted sin and didn't want Jesus. Fully the opposite. I just didn't know how. I wanted to fight for freedom. I didn't know how. But God is faithful. I remember in college once praying at night, I was overlooking this field, and it was the soccer field my freshman or sophomore year, and seeing my own ability to be good enough crumbling, seeing the facade of the good Christian boy crumbling, I remember praying something like, God, I'm pretty smart, I'm on the hockey team, I'm athletic, I don't party a ton, by comparison, I don't go too far with girls, by comparison, why am I so sad? See, my relationship with God was performance-based. My self-righteousness never worked, not even on the sliding scale that I was grading myself on. 
That is because self-righteousness never works. I will never be good enough. But God is faithful. He alone is good. He moved in my life and let me see that I was broken enough. He let me see that he loved the whole cup, ugly insides and all. His love smashed through that crumbling plaster and mortar of the good Christian boy facade because his boy was crying out for him behind it. The summer before my junior year, I was living with that friend Tim and his best friend Eric. We were crammed three big dudes in this tiny one-bedroom apartment in Loring Park for the summer. I slept on a camping mat like halfway between a closet and a dresser. Uh, And God had already done some really crazy things in their lives using this Bible study tool called Lust Free Living. It's now been rebranded Dangerous Men. Shortly after my 21st birthday, I was at Park Avenue Methodist Church in South Minneapolis. I don't really know what I was doing about doing there, but I was there. At the end of the sermon, about what, I have no clue. I felt this nudge to go down and pray. I don't know why I actually did it, but I did. I walked down, I prayed something like, I want to run light and free of all this crap. And God moved crazy that summer. I got dragged, like kicking and screaming, to this dangerous men Bible study. Uh, the Holy Spirit told me to break up with the girl I was dating, and we hadn't even gone too far yet. My buddy Tim took me through dangerous men, including this booklet at the end called Neil T. Anderson's Steps to Freedom. For four hours, we sat there, and I remember praying and confessing all of the crap and sin for my whole life. Whatever my mind or the Holy Spirit brought up, I just word vomited before the Lord. Took a long time, like way more time, uh, way more was behind that facade than I remember. I half expected my buddy Tim to be faint like the old Swedish white-haired church ladies and be like, whoa, that was a lot of sin. Might even be too much for Jesus. No, 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 he didn't do that. Instead, he reaffirmed my identity in Christ. He reminded me that Jesus' righteousness was accredited to me. He reminded me that Jesus bore all that and more on the cross in one shot. He affirmed my forgiveness. He restored and prayed for healing in Jesus' name. It was such a lifting of shame and burden and crap. I started to feel freedom. I started to live it, right? And the reason is shame isolates, but freedom motivates. And God's Holy Spirit kept moving. It was like crazy, right? Like I was in the hockey team, like, and my roommate, anybody ever read that book, like uh, uh, Purpose Driven Life? We thought we should have a purpose. So my roommate, we got to like day four and one night we're praying and he kind of knew Jesus, but like, he just asked me point blank, do you believe in demons? And I was like, dude, I cannot answer that. He used to think I'm nuts, right? And I felt the Holy Spirit push like, no, no, dude, tell him. And I was like, yeah, I think there's an enemy and I think we're in a fight. And he's like, cool. Well, that night he like, he needed to know there was a fight going on. And that was the thing for him to just be like, God, I'm on your team. Like he was struggling with night terrors and all this stuff and he needed to know that we were at war, right? So meanwhile, I'm like, he's gonna think you're nuts. And the Holy Spirit's like, that's what he needs to hear, right? God broke the stronghold of bulimia on my life. Guys in our hockey team were healed of mono through prayer. We had, a, we had hockey players and the football quarterback at a non-Christian school all going through a Bible study and living free from lust and fighting spiritually. It was nuts. We had a big Bible study in our hockey team, right? This was not me performing for God. It was just like, uh, God, he does things. That's what my shirt says. Like Jesus said, go and sin no more. And since that day, I have been perfect. Yeah, right. But (laughs) just ask any of my classes, right? Uh, I just want to give you some lessons that I have learned. So here are the true lessons. Lesson number one, replace the good Christian boy facade No, no, no. The truth is, I am God's boy. 
As it says in Galatians 4, 7, now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. Since you are his child, God has made you his heir. See, we are children of God, but for me, it hits way home more, way more, it hits home more if I use the phrase God's boy. I think that maybe right now Jesus is looking down and be like, that dude preaching on the stage, fumbling through words, that's my boy. When the enemy is accusing, God roars like a lion, that is my boy. When I fall or struggle or wander or hurt, his Holy Spirit whispers, you're my boy. Lesson number two, I can never perform enough for God's standard. As Isaiah 64, 6 says, we are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. Self-righteousness is filthy rags, a used Kleenex, a Band-Aid on the side of the road. Uh, uh, the Hebrew translation is even harsher, Ask Professor Lear. My own self-righteousness is repulsive to God. It pales in comparison to the righteousness Jesus accredited to me. You see, God doesn't look at the outside. He starts in my heart. He says, you blind Pharisee, Mark, you don't see it. First wash the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will become clean too. My performance doesn't fuel God's love. God's love fuels my obedience. As God's boy, I'm an heir because of who he is, not because of what I do. And I want God's word in my heart because it brings me guidance and comfort. And if God wants to give me candy, well, it's just because he's a good, good father and I'm his boy. Lesson number three, stop comparing and let the Holy Spirit convict me. No one is righteous, not even one. Only Jesus is. I can't compare to that, but I can receive it. See, comparison fuels a bunch of shoulds. I should do this. I should do that. But the Holy Spirit is really good at convicting our hearts. He is faithful. He knows what we need. He knows what we need even more than we do in that moment. I have a saying when I mentor guys, listen to the Holy Spirit and don't BS yourself. And the last thing, share my sin with men who fight for me. James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. For the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. See, sin is like mold. When we sweep it under the rug, it festers and decays and destroys. But when it's brought into the sunlight, it's, it's dead, it's healed, it's cleaned. Final, a final word, right? We read the, the armor of God and we got the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness to protect our hearts and the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. But we got nothing for our backs. And I think there's two reasons. So I don't think we're always supposed to run from every fight. We need to change the playlist. And we need to make like Joseph and run from temptation. But sometimes we need to bring out the sword of the spirit and the word of our testimony and the blood of the lamb and, and, and pray these things through directly in Jesus' name. And I think the other reason we got nothing for our backs is we're not supposed to fight alone. Someone's supposed to watch our back, right? Like I think through like David and when he's, he's doing this, you know, if Jonathan's around, maybe he doesn't sin with Bathsheba. Maybe he's up there and he's like, dude, texting Jonathan. He's like, ah, I was on the roof tonight, hot chick, bathing, watched way, way longer than I should. Man, I got to confess this. I confess my lust. And, and Jonathan texts him back and he calls him. He's like, bro, Jesus is going to die for that. He loves you. You are still his boy. Let's pray for your healing. Let's restore you and, and stay in the fight. Stay in the fight, right? And then maybe David doesn't go Old Testament tender and sleep with Bathsheba, and maybe Uriah doesn't get killed, right? So we got nothing covering our backs. We got to fight for each other. We got to watch each other's backs, not stab each other's backs. I'm going to end this last thing here. 
as, as we look at our identity, and if I replace the facade of the good Christian boy, I have to replace it, replace it with something true. And it starts with me being God's boy. And maybe something here today clicked for you. And this is not a, a shill. This is not an uh, advertisement. But I went through this, this Bible study, Dangerous Men. There's a, fem- a women's version called Unveil. Uh, really good books. Uh, if you like this level of honesty and directness, is a great tool that God used in my life to teach me how to take thoughts captive, fight spiritually, and, and do battle against lust and temptation in my life, right? And I've seen many men, campuses, churches, countries set three, free uh, through what God has done through this tool. But in this tool, in this book, I learned a, a saying, and this is what needs to replace this identity of, of, of the facade of the good Christian boy. The truth is I am God's boy. And, I, and if you ask me what I really want to be, there's a saying in this book that is who I want to be. Be a man to men, a warrior to demons, and always a boy to God. Thanks for listening.